So I, I wanted to start this segment this morning on identity in the Jesus is Lord series by giving you the uh, all-in booklet written by the Vineyard's National Director, Phil Strout, who also designated uh, all-in as the theme of the Vineyard National Conference uh, this past July. The uh, idea of all-in carries with it a dual application, either one of which is significant in and of itself, but when both applications are realized, it sets the stage for some very powerful kingdom of God dynamics. First off, all-in beckons us to a total commitment to the kingdom call and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Phil has penned a very profound statement that catches the essence of this aspect of all in, and you'll find it in the book. He says, we believe that if the kingdom of God is worth anything, it's worth everything. Question is, are you all in? Are you all in? The second and equally important aspect of All In is the idea of inclusiveness. Everybody gets to play. The kingdom of God is every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and includes all age groups. The Holy Spirit does not come in a pint-sized children's version for our kids' church, a 16-ounce energy drink version for our youth, and a cup of tea with crumpets serving for us older folks. (laughs) He comes as he is. To all who hunger and thirst and are willing to be used by him for his purposes, the advancement of the kingdom, and to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord of all. All in means both commitment and inclusiveness. And with that understanding in place, the question begs to be asked, and this is a paraphrase of 2 Peter 3.11, that Martha and I often ask of each other. If all of these things are so, then what manner of life should we be living? If Jesus is really Lord... How should I be living my life? I think it's a great question. But I think there is a more primary question that must be answered before we can even attempt to answer this. And that question is, if Jesus is Lord, then who am I? I want you to ask that of yourself. If Jesus is Lord, then who am I? Because here's the thing, you cannot live out who you are not. 
you can't pretend in the kingdom. Thank you, Anthony. And let's be real here. We all know how we ought to live. Most of us have been in this long enough. That's not really the problem. The problem is, how do you live it? The answer does not lie in how much you know, what you understand, or how much you have learned. The real answer, the deeper reality of this profound question, is found in how much have you allowed the Holy Spirit to transform you into the image of Christ? Who am I in Christ, and how can I freely express the reality of Christ living in me to the world around me? It's all about identity. When you know who you are, you live who you are. The Apostle Paul, when instructing the Ephesian church on learning Christ, takes this same approach. In Ephesians 4.22, he says this, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, take note of that. Your former life is corrupt through deceitful desires. He doesn't say it's corrupt through sin. That becomes significant as we go along. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is the new you made up of? And uh, there were 13 people today who stood up to commit their lives to Christ for the first time. Do you know you've been made new in that instant? You died to yourself, and now you're living through Christ. Something has begun in your life that's as real as this would, and much more lively, I guarantee Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So this new you is made up of righteousness and holiness. Those are the key ingredients of the new man. Who you have become. Who you were not when you walked through the doors and who you have become since you stood up and prayed that prayer, you are now transformed and made in the likeness and the image of God himself through the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I mean, the potential in that is explosive. You have been redesigned to look like and live like Jesus. He is now my identity. He is now your identity. He is now the identity. And that identity is rooted in righteousness. Now, don't panic. We're not going to get all religious here, right? A lot of people are scared to death of that word righteous, okay? We're going to try to get very practical in a highly misunderstood concept. I want to read to you from some notes from the School of Kingdom Ministry training that Pastor Eric and I have been taking over the summer um, on righteousness. 
The first major shift for students is coming to an understanding of righteousness as the biblical term for identity. Righteousness is not usually cast as an identity term because the gospel is usually portrayed as Jesus coming to save us from the payment due for the sins committed. That is, we have primarily forgiveness-oriented understanding of our faith. It is true that Jesus' death and resurrection does pay the price for the forgiveness of our sins. But the reality is that the Jews already had forgiveness of sins. It didn't require Jesus' death for that. Now, I know that some of you have been in this a long time, just got your feathers ruffled, all right? Hang on. Erskine Holt used to say to me, there are two Gospels. There's the Gospel of forgiveness, that is, Jesus died for me. And then there's the Gospel of the kingdom, where I die for him. That's all in. In other words, it is a word that addresses... I'm sorry, I lost my place said the true problem that Jesus' death and resurrection addresses is not just that we've committed sinful actions that need to be atoned for, but rather sin itself has moved on the inside. It has become part of our being. Now, a simple way to understand that is, have you ever said, I wish I didn't do that. I just wish I didn't do that. I wish I could stop. And for some reason, even though you wish you could, you know you should, you just can't. It's like inside you. Christ has done away with that in your lives today. That's no longer the case. It is not who you are. Your sin is not who you are. You are not the alcoholic. You are not the drug addict. You are not the loser. You are not the abuser. You are not the abused. You are not the shameful. You are new in Christ. And there is a whole new potential for life and for godliness that comes with that package. And that's good news. That's really, really good news. It has become part of our being. That is sin. Jesus' death and resurrection deals with that. The sinful nature The solution to the sinful nature is a term that Paul calls righteousness. Righteousness literally means the state of him who is as he ought to be. The state of him who is as he ought to be. In other words, it is a word that addresses our being, our identity. It means that we have been restored to what we were always meant to be what we lost in the garden, that the sinful nature has been cut away as we were joined in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a mind-bender for many of the students. Many of us are taught that we are caught in a battle between two natures, a good nature that enters when we're saved and a sinful nature that remains. Our at-times sinful desires are a result of the struggle that is happening within us. The problem is that this doesn't stand up against Paul's language, which is unambiguously that we're dead to sin, not dying, but dead to sin. 
The answer to why we struggle with sinful inclinations is that we're deceived. Remember the deceptive lust. Okay? He makes this reference, think of Eve in the garden before she sinned. Before sin ever came, Eve already got deceived. Not that we have dual natures. This is why Paul commends us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, that our thinking and perception of the world would line up with who we are, who we really are. When that happens, the inclinations towards sinful things fall away. Again, the Apostle Paul, this time speaking to the Corinthian church, focuses in on this core issue of identity as it emerges from the work of Christ on our behalf. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, and here's the good news, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. It isn't just something that you're going to make a decision to walk out. God has given you this ability. It's a free gift. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who are you? Who am I? I am the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God of God. You have become the righteousness of God. How profound is that? Can you wrap your brain around that? I have been doing this for close to 40 years. I still can't wrap my brain around that. I am the righteousness of God. I remember the first time someone said to me, Dick, you're a man of God. I began to weep. I was a loser. I was a druggie. My dad convinced me I would never amount to anything. And suddenly, I was a man of God. How impacting is that? You are, you are, you are the righteousness of God. I want to build on this idea of righteousness a a bit more. Uh, This is from the New Dictionary of, of Theology. It says, righteousness, the basic meaning of righteousness, and it's cognates in the Bible, derived from the Hebrew word tzedek, which was usually translated in the Septuagint, that's the Greek Old Testament, as dikeosine. It thus denotes right standing and consequent right behavior. When you know who you are, you'll live who you are. Right standing with God produces right behavior. 
Okay? The work of Christ brings us into right standing with God or reconciles us to the Father so that we are approved of God and can live in that state of being that we ought to be in. Listen to the proclamation of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had come, baptized the church with fire, and gifted them with power from on high. Peter stands up and gives the first evangelistic sermon of the church age that led to the salvation of 3,000 people. Now listen to the very first words given to Peter by the Holy Spirit to proclaim to the world in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. The American Standard Version says, a man approved of God, a man in right standing with God, a righteous man living as he ought to be. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Because he was living as he ought to, he was able to do mighty signs, wonders, and miracles. What I'm saying to you today, if you live as the righteousness of God, God is going to come alongside you And out of your life, he's going to begin to express his goodness into the lives of others through mighty signs, wonders, and deeds. At the food pantry this last Thursday, a girl came in with another girl. The first girl had been here two weeks ago, and we have a little process that takes them through. And in that process, we always ask this, is there anything we can pray for you? And our daughter, Katrina, had asked us of this first girl and prayed for her, and she had a very profound impact by the Spirit of God. So she brought in her friend who was in horrendous pain. She was almost doubled up. She was leaning against the wall, holding her gut. It was some, some kind of women's problem, which she wouldn't, what was it? Endometriosis, right? And she's in a lot of pain. So I said, can I help you? You look like you're really hurting. She says, I'm waiting for Katrina. (laughs) She said, my friend told me that Katrina would pray for me. I said, that's fine. (laughs) Katrina comes out and says, you know, what's up, Dad? She says, she's waiting for you. She says, oh, what's going on? So she tells her, and she says, all right. She puts her hand on her, and she says, Lord, would you just begin to heal her? And she says, "Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is the pain at? She says, oh, 10. It's 10. Okay. Holy Spirit, just come. Just come. Lord, we just pray for your presence. Where's the pain at? So about a seven. Oh, all right, all right. Holy Spirit, more. We're just asking you for more of Jesus' presence, more of your presence, Lord. Where is it at? It's about a four. So okay, all right. Lord Jesus, never mind, it's gone. It's gone. Totally healed. The next place I see Katrina is sitting on the floor in front of this cross with the girl. She's surrendering her life to Jesus. See, this is how Jesus wants you to live. It isn't just that you know about him, that you are so intimate with him that you live his life out of your life, 
that the people you touch, he's touching through your hands. The words you speak, people are hearing his voice through your mouth because he's so intimate. Christ in you. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about water baptism, and I referenced the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And Jesus comes to John, he's baptizing in the Jordan River in the wilderness, and John looks at him and he says, uh, you should be baptizing me, and you want me to baptize you. And Jesus' response is very interesting, and I really couldn't, could never get a handle on why he, his response was this, but he says this in Matthew 3.15, Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is it, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I'm thinking, what's this got to do with righteousness? Now I get it. Jesus knew that righteous actions would produce righteous fruit. Mighty works and wonders and signs. Again, listen to Peter's words this time to the household of Cornelius, the first sermon of the church to the Gentile world. In Acts 10.36, he says this, As for the word that... He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John. So Jesus says to John, you got to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness, because I've got something I've got to do, and it has to be actuated out of righteousness. So after the baptism of of John, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the beginning of that was his desire to fulfill all righteousness. When you know who you are, the righteousness of God, you will begin to do the works of a righteous God. You see the pattern? When we live as we were created to live, in right standing with God, rooted in Jesus Christ, then the works of Jesus begin to be evident in and through our lives. Jesus explains it in these terms in Luke 6:43. For no good tree bears bad fruit. If you're living for Christ, you can't bear bad fruit. If you are the righteousness of God, you can't bear bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from the thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks Christ is resident in your heart. You cannot produce bad fruit. One last point. We're going to turn to prayer and ministry because I believe this idea of righteousness is better caught than taught. I mean, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've read the book of Romans. You know, you've read all about righteousness. You've probably heard sermons about righteousness And you're probably hearing some new stuff today. And you can be taught about this for the rest of your life and never walk it out. 
It's until you realize it inside, this is who I am. That happens by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do something when, when this word is over. We're going to give you some teaching, then we're going to give you some ministry. We're going, to, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come to each and every one who wants to live righteous. We're going to set up, well, we'll get there. Yeah. So good in the first service. I'm really excited. <laughs> one last point. You don't have to be morose or all heavied out to live righteous. It's not boring. In fact, righteousness and joy is inherent in the kingdom. Listen to this in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is connected directly to peace and joy. When you are the righteousness of God, you will find peace in your life. You will find joy in your life. Listen to Hebrews 1.9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And this is not some nonsensical silliness, but a sustaining joy even in times of distress. In Hebrews 12.2. It says this, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was able to go to the cross because of the joy that's attached to righteousness. I don't know that any of you have faced a crucifixion, but I know you've faced some stuff. And sometimes life is hard to get through. But when you know that you are the righteousness of God, you can lay hold of the peace and the joy that Christ found to be able to endure what he had to endure, and you'll get through what you need to get through. 